0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. We are located at 228 Madison Avenue in Monte Vista, Colorado. I am Pastor Chris Yocum, and I am so glad you have tuned in to listen to this message. I would also love to invite you to join us on Sunday morning for our small group discipleship classes starting at 9 a.m. for all ages, and our worship service starting at 1015 a.m. We have many other activities and Bible studies throughout the week. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. Our prayer is that you encounter the God of the Bible and come to know the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you be equipped to engage the world for Christ. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. This week's podcast is entitled Daniel's Second Vision, Part 3, from Daniel Chapter 8, verse 10-27. through 27. Thanks so much for listening, and may God bless the preaching and hearing of His Word. To stand and turn with me to Daniel chapter 8. Hopefully you've been enjoying Daniel. I have been enjoying it so much. But I can tell you that I came into this series with great trepidation and fear and trembling. Daniel is very daunting, and I have... Never preached on it for that reason, uh, but it has been a true joy to me. I hope it has been to you. God's Word is such a treasure. I hope that that's the way you feel. That's my greatest prayer, that we would, man, have a hunger and desire for God's Word, even, even as we deal with challenging subjects, because, um, you know, we can, we can get off in the weeds, but, boy, the, the clear message is so good, so good, and it's so helpful, especially during this time. Um, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to read Daniel... Chapter 8, we're going to start with verse 9. I read through the end of the chapter. Uh, we, we believe in the inerrancy and fallibility of God's word, the authority of Scripture. Um, those who have ears to hear, hear the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 8, starting with verse 9. Out of one of them, and this is, of course, the uh, goat one of the horns on the goat. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice was, were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did. The truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, "'How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot?' He said to me, "'It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then The sanctuary will be reconstructed.' While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man." And I heard a man's voice from the Ulay Ulay, uh, calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from, this nation, from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went... About the king's business, I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we deal with these challenging passages, Father, give us wisdom and insight. I pray you give us a mind that can understand, ears that can hear. Lord, give us a heart that can receive and accept and make a place for your word. And we will will pay attention and we will be obedient to what you tell us. Attend with us, we pray, in the preaching and the hearing of your word. We thank you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is, is Memorial Day weekend and it's amazing the, the fact that we, we've come to this particular passage of Scripture during this time because it really does concern a very interesting and amazing time in, in history, especially in regards to the people of God and what they were dealing with, great persecution. And there was tremendous sacrifice that happened during that time, and the people had to make very difficult choices when they were dealing with this one, Antiochus Epiphanes. And I want us to say this morning as we think about those who have sacrificed, we think about our nation and our freedoms, I wanted to read a few quotes, as I usually do during times like this, of our founding fathers. They're They're interesting. John Adams said, you will never know how much it costs my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. He also said, remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There was was never a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. Samuel Adams said, "'The liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution, are worth defending against all hazards, and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks.'" He also said, "'A general disillusion of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy.'" Benjamin Franklin said, "They." They who would give up an essential liberty for temporary security deserve neither liberty or security. He also said, freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. Nathan Hale, he said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Alexander Hamilton said, there is a certain enthusiasm in liberty that makes human nature rise above itself in acts of bravery and heroism. He also said, if the representatives of the people betray their constitution, there is no recourse left but in the exertion of that original right of self-defense which is paramount to all positive forms of government. John Hancock said, we have all one common cause. Let it therefore be, be our only contest who shall most contribute to the security of the liberties of America. Patrick Henry said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Thomas Jefferson, the policy of of American government is to leave its citizens free, neither restraining them nor aiding them in their pursuits. He also said, a sacred respect for the constitutional law is is the vital principle, the sustaining energy of a free government. He also said, educate and inform the whole mass of the people. They are the only sure reliance for the preservation of our liberty. Richard Henry Lee said, "...to preserve liberty is essential that the whole body of people always possess arms and be taught alike, especially when young, how to use them." James Madison said, "...it will be of little avail to the people that the laws are made by men of their own choice if the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read." so incoherent incoherent that they cannot be understood if they be repealed or revised before they are promulgated or undergo such incessant changes that no man who knows what the law is today can guess what it will be tomorrow. He also said, democracy is the most vile form of government. Democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property and have in general been as, as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. George Mason said, Nothing so strongly impels a man to regard the interest of his constituents as the certainty of returning to the general mass of the people from whence he was taken where he must participate in their burdens. James Otis Jr., said, the end of the government being the good of mankind points out its great duties. It is above all things to provide for the security, the quiet, the happy enjoyment of life, liberty, and property. Thomas Paine said, it is the duty, duty of the patriot to protect his country from its government. William Penn said, those people who will not be ruled by God will be ruled by tyrants. George Washington said, if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. He further said, the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the Republican model of government are justly considered as deeply, perhaps as finely staked, on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. He also said, the Constitution is the guide which I will never abandon. Two more. Daniel Webster, hold on, my friends, to the Constitution and to the republic for which it stands. Miracles do not cluster what has happened once in 6,000 years may not happen again. Hold on to the Constitution, because if the American Constitution should fall, there will be anarchy throughout the world. Finally, Noah Webster, before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed, as they are in almost every kingdom of Europe. The supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword, because the whole body of the people are armed and constitute a force superior to any brand of regular troops that can be on any pretense raised in the United States. Perhaps. Perhaps. Now, why do I say all those things? Well, because we forget. Because we forget. And because there are many people who want to make sure that everybody forgets and that it is not taught. That there is a reason why we fight for our liberties and they are worth fighting for. And because it goes really well with my, my message today. As Antiochus Epiphanes is going to bring devastation on the people of God, uh, we're going to see why that happened and how it is that we may prevent such things, if we can. And so, as we look at this, let's look at Daniel chapter chapter 8. Remember from, from last Sunday, if you heard last Sunday, Antiochus Epiphanes, He's a determined, crafty, Satan-empowered Greek ruler under the Lord's permissive will. Verses 23 through 24a, we get that. So we say he is stern-faced, he's determined, he is very crafty. In other words, he is a, a person who knows how to figure out riddles. He's able to take very chaotic situations and know how to manipulate all those circumstances for his own good. But we also know, as we're going to see here, He is also an instrument in God's hand to bring bring wrath. And so, I talked last time that there are two realities going on, a spiritual one and and a physical one, and we get that throughout Daniel. Even right now, as we go through this very earthly turmoil, there is a spiritual reality going on. We need to understand that. It says that His power grew And and last Sunday I so much wanted to bring this into to to the, the message in verse 10. It said his says that his that his power grew until. Antiochus and Satan's power is is limited. But I can tell you that the people of God who who dealt with Antiochus it seemed overwhelming. It seemed overwhelming. But Antiochus he is on the move and has great power, but it is limited. It is limited. It grew until, it grew until, it says until it reached the host of the heavens. Now, we don't know exactly what that word means, host of heavens. Uh, I've seen three different things. It could mean stars, could mean angels, could mean, could mean God's people. And I believe that probably all of those are, are correct. In in regard to stars, it has to do with the fact that his power grew to a great height. We saw that with uh, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, his his power was like his uh, kingdom was like a great tree that rose to the heavens. So Antiochus's power grew very, very great. In regard to the angels, we see throughout Daniel that as 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 Antiochus comes against God's people, there is war in heaven. And so it's as if his power is growing, and we know that it, since it's Satan-inspired, we know that uh, his power is growing until it comes to God's people, and there are heavenly armies and a heavenly war that is going on. But it also is regard to, to God's people, often termed as, uh, as stars in heaven through many passages of Scripture. And so all of these things, it's, it, Antioch's epiphanies, power is growing in all these ways, and then he comes up against God's people. He comes up against the armies of heaven. He comes up even against God Himself is what's being communicated here. And it says that He he threw down and trampled some. It says in verse 24, the Antiochus says, uh, He will become very strong, but not by His own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever He does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. So in other words, He threw down and trampled some. He threw down and trampled many of God's people. He threw down and, and trampled probably, there was probably some defeat of the heavenly armies. And so, He had great, great victory during this time. But then it says in verse 11, it says that He set up to be great. Now, it, uh, your translations may be a little bit different than mine. Mine says it's, it set itself up to be as great um, it's interesting because in the original, that there's actually a Hebrew word that 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 is translated "set up to be great," and it's actually repeated five times. So, so in the original, there it it, it says, "set up to be great, set 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 up to be great," five times, which is interesting, um, and it's as if it's talking about the fact that. Um, in 25a, look at that, it says, he will cause deceit to prosper and will consider himself superior. So, in other words, what it's saying is that Antiochus, again, this wise, tyrannical leader is doing everything that he can. He's very wise in being able to set himself to be to be great. His deception will succeed and even he will begin to believe his own lie. God is, God is allowing this to happen. God is allowing Satan to do what, what Satan is doing. And Satan is using Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antioch, Antiochus Epiphanes is, is doing all of these things to set himself up to be great. And Satan's doing everything he can to set Antiochus up to be great. Because we know that as, as people worship and obey Antiochus, they're going to be doing Satan's will as well. So both of these things are happening. God is allowing this to happen. We're going to see why here in few verses down, but God is allowing this to to happen, but Antiochus sets himself up to be great. He will succeed in this, his deception will succeed, and even he will begin to believe his own lie, which is an amazing thing, folks. I mean, if you look at here in this particular passage and in so many of the other leaders in the the Old Testament, and even in in our recent history, you think about Adolf Hitler. He was so deceived, right? He believed. He believed the lie that he that he had been told. He believed these things. Um, he was a they were they're true believers. They are so deceived by Satan that they believe it, and so they feel empowered to do whatever they're doing because they believe they have, you know, that they are the best. Or, or in Antiochus' case, he believed that he was he was God and he had the right to go and do all of these things that, that he was doing. Antiochus really was a true believer, right? We know that in the Greek Empire. With even starting with Alexander, they wanted to Hellenize every, everywhere. Well, Antiochus, he he wanted to do that as well. He, his plan was to turn everyone to his way of thinking. He was so deceived, and his deception succeeded. He deceived the people. He deceived himself. Satan was deceiving all of these people. And I said last Sunday, that's Satan. he's he, Satan's Work is to deceive the nations and try to destroy God's people. It says that uh, He took away the daily sacrifice from Him. The word took away is actually mostly used, uh, mostly translated exalted, exalt or exalted. It's it's rarely used as, as took away. Um, so, I think what's being communicated is that Antiochus took away the daily sacrifice and the practices of uh, the religious practices of, of God's people. Um, and, and by doing that, the, the uh, motive of Antioch's epiphanies was to exalt himself, right? He didn't want God to be exalted and worshiped, he wanted everyone to worship himself. And so he exalted himself by taking away the religious practices of God's people. And it says that his sanctuary was brought low. Antiochus went into the temple and looted and desecrated the temple, did horrible things. Can I say this as we look at this? So often, when God's wrath would fall upon God's people, so often it, it had to do with the religious practices. Often the temple was desecrated or destroyed. And here's, here's why. It's because when God visited, visits His wrath and judgment upon His people, it's because they have, their hearts have been turned away from Him. And the insidious nature of religion is that if we're doing the deal, we must be good with God. Right? God's happy with us. We're good. We're doing the deal. We're checking the boxes. And so God comes down. He says, I'm going to take away all of that safety that you feel by all your religious practices to wake you up, to realize that I am not pleased with your religious practices if your heart isn't right. Can I say that during this time, it's it's amazing how this has affected the church. And maybe it is a wake-up call to God say, you know what? We get comfortable, right? We get comfortable. I go to church. I stand up here and I preach. I go to Sunday school. I give my tithe. I do all these things, so I'm good. But God sees our heart. God knows whether we are in true communion with Him if we're walking in the light. And so sometimes God comes and He pulls a rug right up from underneath our religious practices so that He says, yeah, I'm not happy. And I would say for, for and, I, and I'm speaking of the church around the world, I just pray that this time will be a time of, of examination. Say, are we, are we walking in the light? Are we right with God? Or, or are we just playing church? Are we just going through the motions and doing all the religious things and thinking that, that we're, we're good? Can I just say that the state of the church around the world, uh, folks, in many cases is not good. Is not good. There are many things I think God is not pleased with, and we need to be praying that for our church and for us individually and for our church, for church around the world, this would have a sanctifying effect. There will be a wake-up call, that God is not pleased with all of our, our religious duties that we do if our heart's not right with Him. And this is what happens to God's people at this time. We're going to find out. Because in verse 11, look at what it says. It says that Antiochus set himself up to be great. He took away he brought the sanctuary low. But isn't it amazing that then we get in verse 12, almost the same exact thing, but from a different, different perspective? In verse 12, it says, because of rebellion. This is the real reason God allows the destruction and desecration of, his, of God's people in the sanctuary, right? It says, because of rebellion. That's why this, this particular period of time is, is called a time of wrath, an appointed time of wrath. It's because while Antiochus is coming against God's people, it's really God allowing it because God is not happy with what the people are doing. And if you look at it historically, and we're going to read in just a little bit, I'm going to read out of uh, 1 Maccabees, the story there, but it's very clear that so many were like, sure, sure, become Greek and, and give up our religious practices. Hey, we're good with that. We'll do it. We'll give up. Yeah, we'll give up what God has told us to do. Yeah, we'll go along to get along. So many had done that. And so, God allowed Antiochus to do what he did. This is the real reason that God allows the destruction and desecration. It says in verse 25b, it says, when they feel secure, He will destroy many and take His… Well, when they feel feel secure, He will destroy many. Here's, here's Here's the reality. Antiochus comes to God's people and says, listen, if you guys will give up your religious practices and begin to, to worship in the way that I say, you'll be fine, right? And that's what happened. Antiochus came and spoke peace to them, but then he came instead and brought destruction. Folks, isn't that the lie of the enemy, right? The enemy in almost every way is saying, listen, if you'll just capitulate to the culture, if you'll just give in, kind of go with the flow, kind of give in here and give in there, we fine." But folks, Satan is a liar. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what he's going to do. It's not, we're not going to be safe. We may be safe for a period of time, but I can guarantee you Satan is always going to bring destruction. Now, Satan can bring destruction on God's people who are faithful if we stand up and be faithful, but he can't ultimately destroy us because we'll be fine. We know that in this life, we, when, our, when this life, if our life is taken from us, we go to be with the Lord. But folks, those who are not faithful... They may be safe for a short period of time, but let me tell you, when they, just like in this particular account, when they feel secure, destruction comes. That's what it says in, in another place. I didn't look this up, but it says during the end times that be peace, peace, and then sudden destruction. Folks, the only way that we can be spared from God's wrath ultimately is to stay faithful to Him. Now, God's faithful people also suffered during this time of wrath, but if they stayed faithful, Ultimately, they were going to be okay. But Antiochus lied to them and brought deception because he was inspired by Satan, who is the ultimate liar. Antiochus made many of God's people believe they would be secure if they obeyed him. He lied and brought destruction instead. In verse 12, it says that the host and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. So, you, you see how it says in verse 11, he took it away. But here in verse 12, it says it was given over, the daily sacrifice. Folks, here's here's what the daily sacrifice meant. The daily sacrifice was a command given to to Moses for God's people, and they would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And they would sacrifice a drink offering and a grain offering, and this was every day. And it's as if every sacrifice in the morning was a way of saying, God, this is a new day. We we honor you. And every sacrifice in the evening was, God, thank you for bringing us through this day. That, was, that, that came to an end, along with so many of the other religious practices. Again, all of those things that made God's people feel secure were taken away from them. Through Antiochus, he took them away, but God gave them over. They were given over. And it says that Antiochus prospered in everything he did. For a time, everything went Antiochus's way. And folks, we know from Scripture that that's going to happen. The Bible tells us that there are going to be periods of time where it seems like everything is going Satan's way, that we are on the losing team, that we've already been told in advance that's what's going to happen. And then it says that truth was thrown to the ground. In other words, God's truth was replaced by a lie. And folks, can I tell you that this is one of the most tragic pieces of all of this is that when, when God's people are silenced and when God has to visit His wrath upon God's people, that one of the things that happens is, since we are the ones who bear witness to the truth, the truth is thrown down, or the idea could be that it is scattered to the wind. Folks, I know that Antiochus and so many others thought, well, if Antiochus, if, if he brings this in, this must be the new truth. Folks, it's never, it's never the new truth. There's only one truth. It's God's truth. And when, when God's people... Fail to be the light, truth is is, truth falls to the ground. It's subverted by the lie, and that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy because there's a lie a minute, but there's only one truth. That's why we must be faithful so that we can bear witness to the truth. Because people need the truth. They need the truth during this time. They can turn on their TV, their radio. They can go to a bookstore and find any lie that they want to. But there's only one truth. It's found in God's Word, and it is Jesus Christ and we are to bear witness to that. Verse 14, 2300 evenings and mornings. I'll invite you to study that on your own. Scholars on both sides are divided on that how long the duration is, whether it's 2300 days or 1150 days. I'm not going to get into that. Um, I would probably lean more to the 1150 days. But it was that it, it could be it could correspond uh, very well either way to the period of time that Antiochus um, ravaged as people verse 17 says it came near the place where I was standing I was terrified terrified and uh, fell prostrate and Gabriel says to Daniel understand that that the vision concerns the time of the end so in other words there was a period of time this is going to happen and it says that it that this time refers to the time of the end. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think that we, we get that over in verse 19. The time of wrath over in uh, Gabriel says also in verse 19, he said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. Um, what I believe and everything that I could study, what he's saying is, this, is the, this vision concerns the appointed time of God's wrath, which is interesting right? Because it's called the end, but we know the end. When somebody says it's the end, you have to ask the end of what, right? I mean, when we come to the end of a book, it doesn't mean it's the end of our life. There's an end to various things, and I believe that what He's talking about there is the fact that this is a period of time of God's wrath is going to be visited, the appointed time of God's wrath. It's interesting that that word appointed there can actually mean a meeting place, can be, actually mean that be, be translate the tent of meeting, so, I believe it's, it's it's a time when God visits wrath upon His people, right? The tent of meeting was the place where God's people came together to encounter God. But let me tell you, folks, there's there are times when instead of meeting God in that fellowship, well, if we are unfaithful, we meet God in a wrathful, judge, judge, uh, judgmental way. Now, I believe that it has a redemptive purpose, but God sometimes does bring judgment upon His people. Um, and we need to be praying for that, that God's that that will have its effect of sanctifying the church and it will have a redemptive effect. All right, I'm going to read out of 1 Maccabees chapter 1 because it's very interesting. Just to give you a historical context. It says, After Alexander, son of Philip the, the Macedonian, who came from the land of Kittim and defeated King Darius of the Persians and the Medes, He succeeded him as king. He was previously, he had previously become king. Testing, 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 there we go, okay. He fought many battles, conquered strongholds, and put to death the kings of the earth. He advanced to the ends of the earth and plundered many nations. When the earth became quiet before him, he was exalted and his heart was lifted up. He gathered a very strong army and ruled over countries, nations, and princes, and they became tributaries to him. After this, he fell sick and perceived that he was dying. So he summoned his most honored officers who had been brought up with him from youth and divided his kingdom among them while he was still alive. And after Alexander had reigned 12 years, he died. Then his officers began to rule, each in the, his own place. They all put on crowns after his death, and so did their descendants after them for many years, and they caused many evils on the earth. From them came forth a sinful root, Antiochus Epiphany, son of King Antiochus. He had been a hostage in Rome. He began to reign in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days, certain renegades came out from Israel and misled many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles around us. For since we separated from them, many disasters have come upon us. This proposal pleased them, and some of the people eagerly went to the king who authorized them to observe the ordinance of the Gentiles. So they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem according to the Gentile custom and removed the marks of circumcision and abandoned the holy covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. When Antiochus saw that his kingdom was established, he determined to become king of the land of Egypt in order that he might reign over both kingdoms. So he invaded Egypt with a strong force with chariots and elephants and Calvary and with a large feet. Uh, fleet. He had engaged King Ptolemy of Egypt in battle and Ptolemy turned and fled before him and many were wounded and fell. They captured and fortified cities in the land of Egypt and he plundered the land of Egypt. After subduing Egypt, Antiochus returned, to the returned in the 143rd year. He went up against Israel and came to Jerusalem with a strong force. He arrogantly entered the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the lampstand for the light and all its utensils. He took also the table for the bread of the presence and the cups for drink offerings, the bowls, the golden censers, the curtains, the crowns, and the gold decorations on the front of the temple. He stripped it all off. He took the silver and the gold and the costly vessels. He took also the hidden treasures that he found. Taking them all, he went into his own land. He shed much blood and spoke with great arrogance. Israel mourned deeply in every community. Rulers and elders groaned. Young women and young men became faint. "'The beauty of the women faded. "'Every bridegroom took up the lament. "'She who sat in the bridal chamber was mourning. "'Even the land trembled for its inhabitants, "'and all the house of Jacob was clothed with shame. Two years later, the king sent to the cities of Judah "'a chief collector of tribute, "'and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. "'Deceitfully, he spoke peaceably words to them, "'and they believed him.' But he suddenly fell upon the city, dealt dealt it a severe blow and destroyed many people of Israel. He plundered the city, burned it with fire, tore down its houses and its surrounding walls. They took captive the women and the children, they seized the livestock. Then they fortified the city of David with a great strong wall and strong towers and became their citadel. They stationed there a sinful people, men who were renegades, then strengthened their position as they stood up arms, as they stored up arms and food and collected the spoils of Jerusalem. They stored them up and became a great menace. For the citadel became an ambush against the sanctuary, an evil adversary of Israel at all times. On every side of the sanctuary, they shed innocent blood. They even defiled the sanctuary. Because of them, the residents of Jerusalem fled. She became a dwelling of strangers. She became strange to her offspring, and her children forsook her. Her sanctuary became desolate like a desert. Her feasts were turned into a mourning, Her Sabbaths into a repro- reproach. Her honor into contempt, her dishonor now, great, now grew as great as her glory. Her exaltation was turned into mourning. Then the king who wrote to his whole kingdom that he should be that they should be one people and that all should give up their particular customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king. Many even from Israel gladly adopted this religion. They sacrificed to idols and profane the Sabbath. And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and festivals, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and other unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised." They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane so that they would forget the law and change all the ordinances. He added, and whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. In such words, he wrote to, this, to his whole kingdom, he appointed inspectors over all the people and commanded the towns of Judah to offer sacrifice town by town. Many of the people everywhere, everyone who forsook the law joined them and they did evil in the land. They drove Israel into hiding in every place of, refu- of refuge they had. Now, on the 15th day of Chislev, in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. They also built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah and offered incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. The books of the law that they found, they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Anyone found possessing the book of the covenant or anyone who adhered to the law was condemned to death by decree of the king." They kept using violence against Israel, against those who were found month after month in the towns. On the 25th day of the month, they offered a sacrifice on the altar that was on top of the altar of burnt offering. According to this decree, they put to death the women and their children who who had their their children circumcised, and their families and and those who circumcised them, and they hung the infants from their mothers' necks." But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to defile, be defiled by food or to profane the holy covenant, and they did die. Very great wrath came upon Israel. Folks, it's not, it's not a fun thing when God's wrath visits any nation. So many have sacrificed for our freedoms. Our nation clearly was founded to be a place to honor the God of the Bible. If we are going to maintain that, we must be faithful to God. Next Sunday, we're going to to talk about the the Maccabees a little bit and how they stood up. And we're going to celebrate coming back into God's, God's house and worshiping together. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9, which is Daniel's prayer. Folks, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in the gap. During the time of the Maccabees, you had people that stood up and stood in the gap. Are we going to stand in the gap? Are we going to pray the kind of prayer that Daniel, we're going to see next Sunday? As we come back, are we going to fall back into a routine of doing our religious thing or are we going to be faithful and shine the light to the world around us? Folks, God is speaking through these circumstances. If we do not take heed, He will begin to shout. It may be the time that it's going to happen anyways. We don't know when that time is going to come. But I pray that revival would begin with us as individuals, that we would examine our lives. Are we walking behind light? Are we, are we involved in things that are they're not pleasing to God and we come and we, we put on a good show? Folks, let me tell you, I spent so much of my life in that way, standing behind pulpits preaching when I was, should not have been there, walking behind light. And God had to come and deal with me sanctify me and set me apart for His purpose. And I pray that that for each one of us our churches and for the church around the world, that God would sanctify us and set us apart for His purpose. I didn't finish verse 11. It says in verse 11, the Antiochus' power grew until and they set himself up to be great he set Himself up to be great as or until, the word in verse, verse 11 is the same word in verse 10, until He came to the prince of the host, which is our God. It says in verse 25, He took His stand against the prince of princes and He was destroyed but not by human power. Antiochus, this arrogant one, Satan-inspired, came. Yes, he did great destruction. Folks, this is one of the problems when there's, when God's people are, are visited with God's judgment. The world around looks and thinks somehow because, because of the destruction of the church or the weakening of the church or the marginalization of the church, somehow that means that our God is weak. Folks, Antiochus found out, yes, he could come against God's people, but when he came up against God and i won't read it this morning but it says that Antiochus was taken out by a horrible illness god just took him out and god has done it again done it before and he's going to do it again but are we going to be faithful are we going to stand true to god are we going to be like daniel shadrach meshach and abednego are we going to be like the maccabees are we going to be like so many Christians who have stood up during very difficult times and said, you know, we will be faithful to our God. We will not capitulate. Folks, I can guarantee you, every time it comes, it is a test. It is a test. God is testing us. Are we going to be faithful? And He is sanctifying us. Those some go one way, they say, Okay, I'll give in. Others go the other way, and some will stay faithful. Will we stay faithful? I invite you to stand. Next Sunday is going to be a great celebration, but it's also going to be a time of prayer, focusing on Daniel's prayer and how instrumental Daniel's prayer was in restoration. I invite you this morning, if the Lord is dealing with you, we can fool everybody else, right? I'm a master at it. I know how easily we can fool people. can't fool God. God knows. If he is dealing with you, don't don't shut him out. Hear what he has to say. Repent of those things. Allow him to come and do a cleansing work in your life. Now's the time. Now is such a great time for ministry. Now's not the time for the for any Christian to be walking behind lights. Now it's time to be filled with the Spirit, empowered, set apart, sanctified, walking in holiness and righteousness so that we can be effective. We don't want to miss the opportunities that are going to be coming. This is our time. It's time to put away the deeds of darkness. It's time to put away things that hinder and run this race. This is the race God has given us, to be like Daniel, to be faithful. Father, we come before You. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, as we look at the fact that others have have had very difficult times, I pray that we would be like Daniel and like the Maccabees, and like the early church, so many others who've been faithful, even very, during very difficult times. Lord, I think about so many during the times of uh, turmoil in Germany and, and Russia, Lord, what Christians faced. And Father, even right now today, Lord, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing death and torture, and f- there's great fear. I pray you'd bolden them. Father, prepare us for what's coming. We don't know what's coming. Lord, we want want things to to go back to normal, Father. But, Lord, may your will be done. And whatever's coming, prepare us. And no matter what comes, we are called to bear witness. We're called to be faithful. Father, bring conviction by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd put your finger, and I pray that we would not turn our hearts away. If we hear your voice, we would turn to you. Allow You to do Your work in our lives, that we might be prepared and fit for Your service. We thank You. Bless us now as we leave this place. Thank You for the wonderful blessing of being able to worship together. Go with us now. Dismiss us with Your peace. We pray this